Hear the word of the Lord. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. The covenant is from Mount Sinai. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who, were ne- who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud. You who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Peace be with you. It's good to be here this morning. My name is Pastor Rob, one of the pastors here. And uh, it's good to see everybody making it out after a few days off and a lot of turkey. I was thinking about turkey at our house because we eat a lot of turkey this time of year like everybody else. Matter of fact, if y'all want to come over with leftovers today, we have plenty. So um, Jeannie approached me a few weeks ago and said she found a great deal on turkeys, 49 cents a pound. I guess that's a good deal. Ladies, is that a good deal? Uh, She was happy about it and she came on with four turkeys. And so... Here at the end of November, we've had baked turkey, we've had turkey stuffing, we've had turkey pot pie, we've had turkey soup, turkey dumplings, and I think we'll probably end up with a turkey pie of some sort. But anyway, turkey is just uh, the celebration of this year, which isn't true, right? Uh, It isn't about the turkey, it isn't about uh, the meal, it's about Christ. It's about the thankfulness towards God um, and all that he's done for us. If you think about these six weeks in the year, they're kind of maddening. They um, are built upon events, upon events, upon events. There's busyness. There's gift buying. For some, they might be getting into debt, getting ready for Christmas. And there's a sense of anticipatory, get all this stuff done so we can rest. But the truth is we get to January and we are tapped out. I've considered the month of January our recovery time from the six weeks. And that isn't the purpose of the six weeks. This six weeks is a time of reflection and remembering in the Advent season of Christ coming and being thankful for all that he's done. Also know that Thanksgiving has a way of bringing memories forward. So for some of us, uh, holidays are not a good memory. 
And so the holidays are hard and challenging. And it also could be that there's an empty seat at the dining room table this year that wasn't last year. So the holidays have all these feelings, emotions, this energy, all these things to get ready for, and we lose ourselves. We lose who we are. We're tapped out by January 1st, and everybody's wishing each other a Happy New Year. That isn't the purpose. The purpose is to be reflective and understanding Christ coming into the world and celebrating that. So my encouragement to you this very moment is to rest. Sit in his peace. Whatever you have to do today, guess what? You'll get there and it'll get done. Whatever happened yesterday, happened yesterday, let it be there. Just be present. Hear God's word and his love for you as we get into his word. We've worshiped together and let's hear what he has for us this morning. So I'm picking up in Galatians 4. Paul's addressing the Galatian church about them losing themselves. They have turned from another gospel, a false gospel. There was influencers that have come into the church, Judaizers is what they were called. And they were coming in and they were telling the church that to believe in Christ was okay, but you needed to add all these other things to your belief system. You needed to hold on to the law. You needed to hold on to these religious ceremonies. You needed to hold on to all these things while at the same time holding to Christ, saying this will complete your righteousness. And Paul gave them a strong reminder Throughout Galatians, he presents it different ways through this whole book, but that our rightness comes from Christ's work, period, not our works. So he reminds them to rest from your works. He reminds them to re- return to the work of Christ for our, their identity and our identity this morning. So he goes to Hagar and Sarah's story from Genesis, and I've lost the clicker. There we go. And we're going to start in Genesis and read the background of this story, I think. Oh, there we go. He, God, took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. And if indeed you can count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, Sarah... Abram's wife had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And so here's this presentation. God is coming to Abraham and he's presenting them a promise. And he says what he's going to do. He's going to fulfill this promise. But they had a hard time understanding how God was going to do this. She was barren. They were puzzled. They came up with their own plan. And Sarah even actually says, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Perhaps I can build this promise this way. As if God was putting pressure on her to do this. Remember, God is the one that initiated this. God was the one that granted them this promise. And God said, I'm going to take care of this. So the background of our passage this morning comes from this story and the tension of all that happened within this story with Sarah Sarah and Hagar. So we start with verse 22 and 23 of Galatians 4. 
For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of the promise. So thinking about these two sons, we need to consider their family of origin. That from their family of origin, this is how they would live and interact in the world. This is how they would see the world. And it started with their birth. It started where they began. Now, this might not seem very significant to us, but actually it's very important to consider that this is how they saw themselves and this is how they lived towards God. So our family of origin may need to be considered as well. Where you and I began our life and where we began our family, there we ventured from life and we saw who we were, we understood who we were, and we lived accordingly. What's challenging about that is this is powerful in the sense like it's ingrained in our souls. It's all we know. You and I know no different. All we have is our surroundings as we grow up into adulthood. Now, a little story with this is maybe to consider our background or our heritage is this, our family of origin. Uh, Jeannie and I were officially friends, but going out together. This was back in 1986, so it's been a piece, okay? And I was going to take her to my cousin's wedding. Now, my side of the family, my mother's side of the family is full-blooded Italians, okay? And my cousin was getting wedding. We were going to the reception, and Italians know how to throw a party, and they do it well, okay? By the time that Jeannie and I got there, um, the party was raring to go, and we walk into a big celebration, Jeannie has two experiences during our trip or our visit to my cousin's reception. And let me remind you, or at least tell you, not remind you, tell you that Jeannie's mostly Irish. And she's going to meet a bunch of Italians. Okay? Okay, sorry. I thought that would be funny. Boom. Anyway, so Jeannie walks in, and the first thing she says to me is, why is everybody yelling at each other? I looked at her and says, nobody's yelling? But obviously to this Irish five-foot-two gorgeous date, uh, they were yelling. Sorry, I'm trying to be cute for some reason. It's not working. So. <laughs> so then after Jeannie says this, all of a sudden my aunts, my cousins, my uncles come up and they greet her with a hug. They kiss her, not on her cheek, but smack on the lips. And I've never seen one become like a stiff board and so quick in all my life. And mind you, we were just friends, so we were just holding hands. We weren't kissing. We weren't anything at the time. And so now that my whole family has kissed my wife, you know what my question is going to be, right? And so I said, well, since my whole family, including Aunt I did this kind of whimpery, you know, can I give you a kiss? No. <laughs> anyway, in my heart, I said game on, basically. So anyway, but that, that's a picture of a family of origin. I, coming from an Italian family, uh, I learned how to uh, be who I am, okay? Um, but you and I have the same thing. We come from a family that's ingrained in us. We learn traits. 
we learn how to understand ourselves and others, how to relate, even our approach to God. We'll talk about that in a minute. The two sons of this story grew up differently and and lived very differently because of their family of origin. One was the nature of the flesh, and the second was free with the divine promise. These two origins were the the ways they approached God. Abraham and Sarah were given a promise from God, but they came up with plan B to do for themselves what God was supposed to do for them. So basically, the orientation of this approach to God was, I am going to do this work for God's favor. I am going to do this for him. I know he gave me the promise. We have no means of doing this ourselves, so we're going to come up with this plan B. And plan A, as you remember or know, God approached them, God gave them the promise, and God said he was going to complete it. And this is what God said he would do. Back in Genesis. As for Sarah, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarah. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her. I will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. That's all God. God saying, I will, I will, I will. He initiated this relationship by approaching Abraham. He initiated the relationship to go deeper by giving this promise. And then he said, I will do it. It's what he said. I will do it. So think of it this way, that grace receives freely and lives. Grace is something given to us that we had nothing in the power of ourselves to receive. Nothing. But works lives differently. Works is like, I'm going to live and do so that God's favor will be upon me. These two approaches. And this is what's going on with this story with Sarah, 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 and Hagar. These two men and their story lived differently, and what they lived went on for generations. What they lived went on for generations. And this is the same for us. The way you and I understand life and who we are and how we live, if God doesn't intervene and change some of those things, it will be passed down. It will go forward. Because my children, that's the only thing they've seen. So, for instance, it may look like this. So Jeannie and I got into a spat once. 31 years, it's actually been more than once. But anyway... uh, We got in this little going back and forth, and I said these brilliant words. That reminds me of your mom. Mm. Yeah, that wasn't wise. I just want you to know. Sometimes you just keep on learning silly things, right? Or these things. So that wasn't wise, but what I was seeing was this tendency, if you would, what I saw in her mom being down to her. Men, I advise you not to ever use that line. Two, the other way we can see this is when we're raising our kids. And we see our kids act the way we act. Uh Uh-oh. Right? That same tendency is being ingrained in them to go forward out of how we have raised them.
the family of origin gives us a challenge. The challenge is, as, are we going to believe the way God sees us and approaches us, or are we going to believe how we were raised by our parents? Are we going to believe how we understood authority from our parents, how we relate to one another in our family, from our family, or how we view ourselves as our parents see us or how our family treated us? Thinking God does the same, and he doesn't. In broad strokes, it could look like this. If my parents were passive, then I see God as passive, and I live and act accordingly. If my parents were domineering and demanding a lot of me, I would say we see God the same way, that he's demanding a lot of you, and therefore you and I have to live accordingly. Therefore, our interpretation of ourselves is ingrained in us and given us the opportunity to believe either what God says or how we were raised. How do you see your relationship with God? Does it parallel with your relationship with your parents? It may be something to consider. The story continues with Sarah and Hagar. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who had an husband. The imperative word in this whole passage right here is covenant. It's covenant. So covenant and contract are two different things. We live in a world full of contracts. We live in it more than we realize. And basically the contract says, I'm going to agree with you in this relationship and you're going to do these particulars for me and I'm going to do these particulars for you. But if you do not do those particulars to me, I'm going to break contract. It's void. It, long, it lasts no more. We do that in our society. Our society perpetuates that idea. Covenant is much different. A covenant is established about my relationship to another, stating this is how I'm going to live towards you. The vow and a covenant is not based on how you live towards me. Rather, it's, slow, it's solely related to how I am going to live towards you. A couple of examples of that is here at our church. We agree in covenant. We agree in covenant that we are going to live unto the Lord and love him fully and journey with him the rest of our days. That's what you and I agree on as members here. Plus on that covenant, we're saying we're going to dwell in community with one another, living and loving unto God together until the Lord comes back or he takes us home. That's our covenant. It's a posture on how Rob is going to live towards you. It's a posture how you're going to live towards me. The marriage is another covenant. You will hear in the covenant say, for better or for worse, for sick or for poor, for rich, excuse me, better for, for better or for worse, for rich or poor, for in sickness or in health. It's a personal declaration of my steadfast love to the one I'm marrying. 
It's my declaration before God and the one I'm marrying. It's a posture towards God here. The covenant is the way we love one another. A covenant is how I'm going to live towards God. This story is about works and doing good and doing the things that are going to bring God's favor. And the other covenant is one that receives from God and therefore is. Both have consequences. If I live by the pressure of the law, it's heavy upon me. And I never know when I've done enough. And if I mess up once, I've broken the whole law. I can be full of good intentions and good works. But you know, if I did one thing, I've broken it all. There's no hope there. If I live under grace, it's all God's approach to me. God moving upon me. God giving me a promise. And God working through me. Galatians helps us with this. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. There's two different systems in play. Our approach to God or God's approach to us? Where do we live? This week I was uh, at the hospital sitting with a lady in her 70s and it was an amazing visit. It's like two hours. She's unpacking her life. And this is what she told me. She said, I'm a woman of faith, but I'm driven by perfectionism. I'm driven by good works and being the right person all the time. You know what she said? And I'm tired. I'm like, my goodness, if you've been doing this for 70 years, I'd be tired too. She says, I have it so bad that if there was a car accident in front of my house, I would feel guilty about the car accident because there's... There has to be a way I could have prevented that accident from happening. And she says, so I wrecked my soul with guilt thinking I could have prevented something. She says, I'm just tired. We concluded the visit and I got to share the good news with her and the hope in Christ that we can rest from our works But she concluded the visit by saying, God helps only those who help themselves. She was ingrained. I wanted to ask her, where's the chapter and verse on that one, but didn't have the moment to do it. 
Hagar's posture is, I will do this for God, and then, then God will give me the blessing. Hagar represents the flesh. Our, it represents our strength, our, our works, our rightness before God. It represents what we can do. And may I say it's full of self-effort, self-glory, and self-reliance. The theme of that, the core of that is actually pride. It's like, what I will do for you, God. Aren't you glad I'm on your team? It's a dangerous place because it looks so good. See, it's our works towards God for this favor that leaves us exhausted because you and I never know when we've done enough. Sarah's covenant is much different. The inability for Sarah to have a child meant that God was the only one that could make this relationship work. Sarah had no means in herself to create and make a promise happen or to be good enough. It was totally the work of God in her life. This is rooted much differently. This covenant is more rooted into grace and understanding it's God towards me. It's God in me and it's God working through me. It's God initiating this relationship. We're in the Advent season, and what are we celebrating? We're celebrating the coming of the Lord. He's come to give us hope and life. I don't have the ability to do that. This is a posture of humility, knowing who we are within our own limits and who God is in his infinite wisdom and power. It's God's work in us, towards us, and through us, it's God's glory and God's strength that you and I rely on. You and I are here because of God. When was the last time you told yourself to breathe? You didn't. But somehow or another, God put this body together that it does that. You may remember how many times you'd have to tell yourself to breathe in one day. Breathe, Rob. Breathe, Rob. Breathe, Rob. Sorry. That was off script. Listen to Ephesians. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. For we are God's handiwork. You are God's handiwork. This isn't a broken record for those who know what a record is. Sorry. <laughs> for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. I have nothing to do with that. I'm God's handiwork. He knew me in my mother's womb. He's the one that formed and fashioned me. He knew Rob before Rob knew he existed. Isn't that amazing? I had nothing to do with it. See, it's God's initiation in our lives that gives us great hope. It's God's initiation. When we receive Christ, we come under a new covenant, a new identity. We're brought into a new family, rooted in him under his grace, his grace. 
Salvation is a covenant sealed by his blood, demonstrating his love for us by Christ's coming, Christ dying, and Christ being resurrected for you and for me. When Jesus was on the cross, the last words he said, it is finished. I've completed it. He completed the works. He completed the law. He completed it all and was innocent. Something you and I could not do. So he died and was buried and the grave couldn't hold him because he was innocent. He was not guilty. So for all who believe in him, we stand under that covering of Christ's work, period. Christ's work. See, the influencers that were coming to the church, they were adding certain laws and regulations, uh, celebrations of certain days to complete their righteousness, to obtain God's favor, to strive for it. Jesus did for us what we were unable to do for ourselves. Why would we turn back? Why would we turn back? If we add anything to our faith ahead of God's work, we're basically saying Jesus' life was not enough. But it was. You and I are free. I was going over this this morning, and it just caught me. I received Christ in 1983, and it just struck me sitting there, all that God's done in my life and will do, but up to this point, have I been so healed, so delivered, so redeemed that I don't need him anymore? Oh my gosh, no. I need him more now than I ever did. Ever did. So Paul says to Rob, who has bewitched you, Rob, that you have to go back to works to obtain this favor of blessing from God? You don't have to do that. I did it for you. Remember what I did in 1983? I'm still doing it, Rob. You didn't do anything in 1983. Then other than open your hands and I came in. The story continues. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of the promise. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. We're under the free woman, not the slave woman. The slave woman goes back to Adam and Eve, if you think about it. Adam and Eve were given the garden. They had nothing to do with creating the garden. Nothing. Nothing. Can I say it one more time? They didn't. But yet they chose to do something they were asked not to do. And therefore their disobedience, separating themselves from God to do their own thing, passed on an inheritance to us called our sinful nature. And I want to say to the culture, yes, we are born with a sinful nature. We are born with a sinful nature. 
So in this inheritance, we've tried to make ourselves right with good works, good intentions, and best wishes, covering our sinful nature before God and man. Paul's declaration here is you are believers. You that are believers are born under the free woman. Receive the divine promise of Christ that enables you to walk away from these works and efforts. So to become children of the promise, we have to receive the divine promise, which is Christ. He took our place. From accepting him, we receive this inheritance of Abraham. You and I are ushered into a new family. We move from the slave woman to under Sarah. God initiated giving us the promise, fulfilling that promise in our lives and giving us freedom new in his family. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. See, when our works for God try to supersede our identity in God, Paul is saying, get rid of the slave woman and her son. Get rid of them. He's saying this to the church. He's saying that to Galatians, to the Galatians. We can't do that without Christ in our lives. We can't do that without the divine promise working in us. We can't do that without him initiating his work and relationship in us. It's him that initiates his work in our lives and your life. We have to believe personally. We have to believe and accept what he's done. John 3 tells us, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. The message here is like, where do you belong? Is it under the slave woman or is it under the free woman? Have you received Christ, your personal divine promise and what he's done for you? I didn't have this in the script, but I, I said it in the first service and I, just to share. In 1983, when Christ intervened in my life, it was moments before I was going to commit suicide. I had a plan and a purpose. I started doing drugs and drinking in sixth grade. and By the time I was a senior in high school, I could barely talk, much less function. I was so burned out. That night, I was at a party, got beat up by my so-called friends, and I'm falling down drunk, heading home, and I'm telling God, if all there is to life is this, I'm done. I was already wore out by my works. My works led me to despair. I get home that night, and my mom shares the gospel and I did what I would normally do instead of saying highway to hell to her. I didn't want to hear it. Went into the 
bathroom. I guess I wanted to be clean before I died. I don't know. My plan was to take all the medicine in the cabinet and just OD. That was my plan. I didn't care. So I'm in the shower. I'm holding onto the shower head. I'm leaning against the wall to stay up. And I remember my mom's words, Rob, if you ever want to be happy, it's only through Christ. Up to that point in my life, I've never been happy. And I knelt to my knees and I said, Christ, if you're real, come in. Come in. I had my arms. And when I stood up, I was a different man. I was a different man. I wasn't good enough. I couldn't do it. I was raised Catholic. I did all the right things. I went to confession. I took the Eucharist. I went to Mass. I did all the right things. I was a dedicated altar boy. So much so that I'm going to this plan in my life, plan B, to kill myself. And I'm going to tell God about it. What I'm saying to you is this. It's all God. It's God, and we have to accept what Christ has done for us personally. See, the challenge of believing, I think, is that we get so accustomed to our barrenness that it scares us to believe something different. Our family of origin is ingrained in us so deeply, and those interpretations about our life have transferred to God's interpretations to us, and they're not true. But yet we're so accustomed to what we've known, we're scared to believe something different. So my question for you to consider is, if you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, why? Why? The second part of this story is where, for believers, like for us, where do we put our hope? Do we put our hope in these works and doing all this good stuff, thinking God's going to smile upon us by doing them? He already smiles upon you. Does guilt override you? Does standard self-imposed upon you? Have they enslaved you? That's not Christ. That's the work of the law. Get rid of the slave woman. And the Son. Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is our Savior. And you know what our Savior did? He gave his life for us. And this is what it says. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and we had given thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. I don't know where you find yourself today, but our Savior's here. He loves you with his life. 
As we approach communion, I would just ask you to consider, where's your heart? Talk to your Lord. If you never received him, please share with someone up front or after the service about your need for Jesus. We have all came to Jesus the same way, knowing we needed him desperately. Please bow with me as we pray.